Hello, and welcome to From Russia with News, a weekly news and analysis podcast produced by the Moscow Times. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Millions of citizens of Russia are united by the Olympic dream. I view the Russians as a far greater challenge that we have. President Putin, uh, he just said it's not Russia. A unique country, not bad, not bad at all. My name is Jonathan Brown, and I'm an editor here in our newsroom in central Moscow. This week on the program, we'll be speaking with the outspoken Kremlin critic Bill Browder about his 11th hour campaign to swing the leadership vote at Interpol. With the looming election of a Russian head, Browder had warned the West that Interpol was in danger of becoming just another nefarious weapon in Vladimir Putin's geopolitical toolkit. Generally, when Russia goes out and tries to um, manipulate an international election, they'd corrupt and pay a lot of people and they pretty much have the results locked up. Has the West averted a crisis by lobbying to elect a South Korean president instead? Or will Russians see Browder's campaign as just another example of how the West is working to unfairly isolate Moscow? And later in the program, we'll be joined in the studio by Tom Venink, Moscow correspondent for the Dutch paper De Volkskrant. We'll be speaking about his investigation into how Russian supermarkets, with the help of some embassies from African countries, are doing a roaring trade in illicit EU pairs. The embassies are taking a cut and the Russian traders who sell those documents are taking a large sum of money out of that. We'll ask whether Russia is prepared to crack down. First up, this week in Dubai, Interpol elected a new president after its previous leader went missing last September in China under mysterious circumstances. Up until the last minute, it looked all but certain that Alexander Prokopchuk, an Interpol vice president and general in Russia's interior ministry, would be elected. That is, until some Western countries began sounding the alarm. Joining us over Skype is Bill Browder, the architect of the Magnitsky Act, who was at the helm of the campaign to block Prokopchuk's election. Hi, Bill. How are you? Hi. I'm doing good. You don't mind if I call you Bill, do you? No, not at all. Tell us, what was your initial reaction to the to the news of the vote? Well, I, I guess I was both relieved and a little bit surprised. I, I, I generally thought, I, I thought that the Russians um, had um, more tricks up their sleeve than they did um, uh, here. I mean, generally, when Russia goes out and tries to... Um, manipulate an international election like they did with the um, decision on where to locate the World Cup with FIFA or the decision about the Olympic, uh, where where the Sochi Olympics with the International Olympic Committee. Um, They run a big operation. They corrupt and pay a lot of people and they pretty much have the results locked up. And I I kind of assumed that they had done that here and they might very well have done that here and hope that nobody was going to pay any attention. But um, uh, I, I didn't expect that we would get the result that we got. I thought that this was going to turn into a, a, a very long and painful fight for me and for, the, for a lot of other people in the world. Leading up to the vote, security experts, including Mark Galliotti, who wrote a column from the Moscow Times about this, were skeptical about just how much clout a Russian president of Interpol would actually have. Can you tell us why you were so opposed to Prokopchuk's election? Well, so so let's just look at what um, responsibilities the president of Interpol has. The president of Interpol has responsibility for the budget of Interpol, for the budget of different departments at Interpol, for the strategic direction of Interpol, and for whether or not Interpol should ever sanction um, any Interpol member states. If if this guy, um, Propchik, 
uh, controls the budget for a department in Interpol, um, then he can either withhold or offer an increased budget to those people who are ready to trade with him information. Um, this is how Russia operates on a, uh, on a lot of different levels. Um, uh, this is, I, I, we've seen this um, uh, many times before, that anytime you give a corrupt Russian power, they'll figure out how to leverage that power in whatever way they need for what they want. Um, furthermore, um, we have a situation which has been well-defined, in which Russia has continuously violated Interpol rules to go after their political enemies. I'm a perfect example of that. Um, there is now um, a growing chorus of people who are saying that Russia should be punished for that type of behavior. And I'm one of the leaders of that chorus. Um, we're going to be making an um, application to Interpol to punish Russia, to suspend Russia from using the Interpol system. Um, the president of Interpol is the person who will make decisions and, and have authority about the agenda of how those decisions are made about suspending a member of Interpol. And therefore, if a, if a Russian president of Interpol is sitting there, then no decision will ever be made in which Russia will be penalized. After the vote, the Kremlin spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, accused U.S. senators of meddling in the Interpol elections. He said, this is probably a certain kind of interference in the electoral process of an international organization. How do you respond to that? Are you seriously asking me whether whether I, I that I think that Dmitry Peskov's statement that, that that we were unfairly trying to influence the outcome of the Interpol election is, is a uh, a problem? Of course not. This that's that that's absurd. It's like Dmitry Peskov um, blaming the Ukrainians for shooting down MH17. You know he's busy. You know Russia has been defined as as influencing and cheating on elections, and this is just him trolling trolling us, saying, "Oh, we're trying to cheat his election." Um, you know, this is what the Russians do. It's like they murdered Sergei Magnitsky, and then a couple of days ago they accused me of murdering Sergei Magnitsky. This is just like typical Russian trolling operation coming from Peskov. And moreover, we're in a world now where, where Putin has gotten caught doing a lot of dirty business. Um, he got caught um, poisoning, uh, using military-grade chemical weapons in Salisbury. Uh, he got a bunch of his guys, all GRU agents, getting rounded up all over Europe. He's done a lot of really dirty stuff lately and gotten caught. And um, for to have his guy, and, and this guy, Propopchuk, uh, is his guy for sure, um, in charge of Interpol, is, is just an abhorrent um, concept for anyone to think about. And, and the, judging by the international reaction, the feverish international reaction, I'm not the only one who thought that. On Monday, Russian prosecutors announced that you are a leading suspect in the murder of your former lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who is believed to have been killed in a Russian prison in 2009. How do you explain the timing of that announcement alongside the Interpol vote this week? Well, I, I think I, I generally look at the at the pattern of Putin's um, attacks on me. And they, they, there seems to be a very high correlation between when we've made big progress in our Magnitsky um, Act campaign, and um, if you just look back in 2012, we um, got the Magnitsky Act passed in December of 2012 in the United States, and then five months later in May of 2013, Russia then applied for an Interpol red notice for me for the first time, and then then the other um, after the Canadians passed the Canadian Magnitsky Act the same week, um, Russia applied for another Interpol notice, and then um, most significantly uh, yesterday. The EU was having a 28-country meeting 
to discuss the EU Magnitsky Act, which has now gotten real serious traction, and I think something is is really probable and in the works. And I think that that, that Putin's um, decision to go after me now is connected to that. Um, and it looks, I mean, it looks hugely absurd and and, and emotional. The, the, this this crazy press conference that they that they held and all these accusations that they sort of threw out there. And so there's something that's really gotten under Putin's skin about my activities, and I have to believe it's connected to the Magnitsky Act. After the election results were announced in Dubai, you said that your legal team is preparing a campaign to have Russia suspended from Interpol, precisely because it's trying to leverage the organization for its own political purposes. Some will make the argument that China, Iran, Turkey, among others, have been accused of doing the same. How is suspending Russia the solution to this problem, which is arguably systemic within the organization? Well, basically, people tend to do bad stuff until there's consequences for them doing bad stuff. And Russia has not um, not um, felt any consequences. And, and for what it's worth, Russia is the most egregious abuser of Interpol, more than Turkey, more than China, more than the United Arab Emirates, more than Kazakhstan. Russia... Um, goes after every one of their enemies using Interpol. It's like a, it's like a bog standard sort of template for how they pursue their enemies, and and many many political enemies um, have have uh, they've tried using Interpol against those enemies, and 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 Interpol has rejected those applications, and there's been no consequence to Russia, and I believe that if Russia, who's the worst abuser, is punished. Then other countries will say, "Well, you know what? We we need this for real law enforcement. We don't want to just start abusing it. Maybe look at what happened to Russia. We're not going to abuse it for ourselves." And so it not only has the effect of of um, stopping Russia from abusing it, but it has the demonstration effect for other countries that may have been abusing it before and don't want to lose access in the future. In 2004, you wrote an opinion piece published in the Moscow Times called "Making the Case for Putin." Can you ever see yourself making the case for Putin again? Well, now I'm making the case for Putin to um, uh, be deposed and, and sit in front of the International Criminal Court. I can make a very strong case for that. Um, there is no case for Vladimir Putin in any other context. Um, I was obviously very wrong. Um, uh, in a certain way, I, I, I think I, I, I have... Uh, you know, because I'm ready to admit that I was wrong, a lot of people were, were sort of supportive of Putin and... Uh, uh, and never admit that I was. I supported Putin then, um, thinking that he was going to be getting, you know, cleaning up Russia and getting rid of the oligarchs. And it turns out that he just wanted to become the biggest oligarch himself. Um, but no, I, I don't. I think Russia is is going to be completely um, ruined until there is a um, a regime, a democratic regime that respects rule of law and human rights. And and, uh, uh, and Vladimir Putin is running a, a massive kleptocracy who's. Um, running the country into the ground. And uh, it's very sad for me to see how bad Russia has gotten when, when it had such hopes. And, and, and I had such hope for, for Russia back in the early days. Thanks for taking the time to speak with us today, Bill. Thank you. In 2014, when Russia annexed the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine, Western countries responded by imposing sweeping economic sanctions against Russia. Russia retaliated in turn by banning food imports from Western countries. No more French cheese, no more Spanish prosciutto, and no more European fruits and vegetables. But a new investigation published this week by the Volkskrant has exposed a hugely lucrative trade in illicit Dutch pears that have circumvented these sanctions. Joining us in the studio is Tom Venink, the Volkskrant's Moscow correspondent. 
Tom, tell us how exactly does a Dutch or Belgian pear find its way from an orchard in rural Holland to my local supermarket here in Moscow? So the pear goes from the tree to a warehouse. And at the warehouse, a, a truck from the Baltic states arrives. And this truck brings the pear all the way to Lithuania. And in Lithuania, all the, all the original uh, labels are taken off the crates. And then the crucial thing happens. Um, Russian traders buy illegal uh, certificates, food authority certificates from African countries, and they mask the pears as African pears. So now it seems that the Dutch pears have become Africans, and that way they can safely travel to Belarus and then to, to Russia. In your investigation, you talk about how traders navigate the process of getting their hands on the actual legal documents that make it possible for the illicit pairs to be brought over the border into Russia. How much money is involved here? And it's not just African countries, their embassies that are that are involved. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so these documents are documents that uh, state that this fruit is safe to eat. They're official documents. And they're sold by African food authorities. They send them through diplomatic posts to Lithuania. In Lithuania, they're being picked up by a Russian trader who brings it to uh, a truck. One document costs 7,500 euros. That's for one truck. Every day, there's 10 trucks. So in one year, it's about $25 million just in certificates. The embassies are taking a cut And the Russian traders who sell those documents are taking a large sum of money out of that. We've all seen the footage on state-run television of imported EU food being bulldozed by the ton by Russian authorities. But at the same time, this trade has been going on unabated almost since 2014. Is there any reason to believe that Russia will clamp down on its own sanctions anytime soon? And if not, why not? Well, we've asked the Russian authorities, why don't they stop these trucks? Because these trucks are full of pears with African documents. And it's clear that these pears are not, not actually African because a pear tree would die immediately in Africa. Uh, but the Russian food authorities told us that these are original documents. So there's no reason for us to mistrust our African trading partners. And that's why I think that this trade is not going to stop Um, the Russian authorities are sort of accepting that it's happening. And actually, the, the, the most famous farmer of Russia, Pavel Grudinin, has responded to our investigation in Russian media. And what he said is, yeah, everyone knows where these pears are from, but we don't grow them themselves, so ourselves. So uh, we need them. So this trade is going to continue. Is there any reason to believe that this trade isn't being stopped by the Russian authorities because there are members of the Kremlin elite or individuals close to the Kremlin that are directly profiting from it? Well, that's what Dutch and Belgian traders have told me, that there are definitely very powerful people who are making a lot of money with this trade. And they think that that's why this trade will not stop. You spoke to some growers in the Netherlands And there seems to be a real sense of fear among them that they might be found out for, for selling, selling pears to Russia. One told you, 
I don't know what people in the Netherlands will think if if they know I'm trading with the Russians. Where does this sense of fear come from? Yeah, that was very surprising to me. I was talking to Dutch traders here in Moscow and they all told me that they don't want to be named in the article because of MH17. So that's the Dutch plane crash um, in Ukraine in 2014. Most of the victims were Dutch. But it's it's four years ago. It's a it's a political event. Uh, but for uh, the, the impact of this event has been so uh, big in the Netherlands that trade trading with Russia has become very politicized. And uh, these farmers... Uh, the, the pair growers and the pair traders are scared that they that they will be seen as pro-Russian, and that's their most important reason uh, for asking anon- anonymity in the article. And what's at stake for the for the importers for the the Russian supermarket chains? What are the risks that that they run, and why ultimately have they decided that it's worth it? So, Russians want that Dutch pair. They love it. It's sweet. It's a very popular product in Russia. And just after the sanctions, supermarkets were thinking like, yeah, are we going to are we going to continue selling pears or not because Putin has uh, has introduced this import ban. But one supermarket started buying pears and then the other started buying pears and no one wanted to be left behind. But what the supermarkets do is they're not buying those pears themselves. They're using middlemen who are working uh, in a distribution center south of Moscow. Uh, and they are the guys who are taking the risks. Tom, how do you see this 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 trade playing out? Is there anything that, that you've seen or reported that suggests to you that it could be slowing down? Well, our investigation has been widely reported about in, in Russia uh, and also in Lithuania. Um, but the responses that we've seen don't suggest that this trade is going to stop. Uh, people in the Netherlands are nothing going to do about it because the Dutch ministries, they say, well, this is a Russian import ban. Uh, they have to they have to make sure it works. Same goes for Lithuania. And in Russia, um, yeah, no one is going to stop this because powerful people are profiting and Dutch uh, and, and Russian consumers too because they can still eat this delicious pear. Tom, thanks for taking the time to be with us in the studio today. Thanks for having me. To finish off, have a listen to this. Police in Krasnoyarsk have praised two of their officers for reportedly putting out a fire using an unusual method. Here's what the Interior Ministry said. The guardians of law and order continued to hurl snow at the burning fence and garage gates until firefighters arrived. And just think, winter is only just getting started. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget to rate this podcast on iTunes. I'm Jonathan Brown. Our producer today was Pyotr Sauer. And thank you to CM Records Studios in Moscow for hosting the show. Don't forget to join us next week on From Russia with News. Thank you.